Good morning. Greetings in the Master's name to each of you. It's wonderful to be together and to worship again. Come here this morning with so many thoughts and feelings. I hardly know where to start or what to say or how to say it. Uh, other bishops met on Monday to decide my future, and uh, I stayed home and prayed pretty fervently. <laughs> and uh, so, if you're happy with their choice, we'll give them the credit. And if you thought you missed a good opportunity to get rid of me for good, we'll talk to them about that as well. So, anyway, uh, Brother Claire stopped in and gave me the ordination certificate that we had both in our stress forgot to exchange the evening of the ordination. And uh, we visited a while, and I kept wondering when he was going to tell me what they decided, and he finally came out and told me. And I felt a lot of joy, and then I went in the house and started thinking about it, and I got to feeling guilty with other bishops have to juggle two congregations to run here and there, and I just get to drive a mile and a half to church every Sunday morning. So looking forward to continuing to serve here and love you folks. and Hope we can pull together for the good of the kingdom. Another thing that I found much more intimidating than I had any idea, you know, bishops make their own preaching schedule. And for 22 years, just every six months, I'd get a piece of paper that said what I was going to do and where I was going to go on weekends, and we'd say, oh, we're going here this Sunday, and we're going that Sunday, and we just, it's the way we live. And I took a lot of stress out of my life. Never had to plan what to do on weekends. So all of a sudden, I had to sit down and figure out a preaching schedule. And that was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. So anyhow, I didn't even know how many times I preached here. I had to go back and get records and say, oh, preached eight times in six months, nine times. And so I'll try to keep it at that nine or ten times in six months. And that's something else I'm happy about. Um, some months ago, I'd asked for sermon suggestions, and I've gotten a bunch. And I wasn't sure I was going to work through that. So now I can. And hopefully after this morning, I'm going to actually start working on those. A number of those had to do with doctrinal issues and things that are addressed in the book of Romans. And if the Lord gives me strength and I'm brave enough, I may actually attempt to preach through the book of Romans over a period of time. And I'm looking forward to that challenge as well. So a big thank you to everyone who's reached out in the past week for with two weeks acts of love. I got up early this morning to pray and meditate and study and this verse from Peter kept ringing through my mind. The unfeigned love of the brethren. Love that's real and genuine. You know there's no pretense in it. We felt a lot of that, and we really appreciate that. And it amazed me how many people reached out to us from other churches, even churches that are not part of Southeastern Conference that I wouldn't have expected to hear from. We appreciate that very much. There's always reality checks. <laughs> One dear brother who's not ordained but has pulse on the community told me this past week, he said, Philip, don't focus too much on the few people who hate you. Focus on the ones that love you. So there's always those reality checks that we know happens in life. So anyway, thank you for your prayers. You know, ordinations are a time of deep soul searching and coming close to God and introspection and, and all of those things. And I guess God knew I needed a lot of that. I think that was our fifth trip here last Sunday night. Well, the first trip I didn't the first trip, I argued with God and said no. But anyway, God knows what we need, and we want to be lean on Him for what that is. First Thessalonians 5. I just assure you my message this morning isn't one of those tatty three-point messages. It's more of a personal testimony of life experiences. 
First Thessalonians 5 is a verse that I woke up, or some verses I woke up in early Monday morning. Bishops, obviously, you have opportunity to get a lot of work done because I can't sleep very late in the mornings anymore. I keep waking up and I might as well just get up because sleep is going. And uh, I woke up Monday morning and was thinking of a number of verses and I actually got up went and wrote them down. And uh, this last half of verse 13 has really been on my mind. But it's part of a larger context. And verse 12 is where we'll start. And we beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Another part that I've been thinking a lot about is verse 12. It says, I beseech you, brethren, know them which labor among you. And that is so important, I believe, in the life of the church as we know each other. You know, we can, we can get around a whole lot of misunderstandings and stresses and all that that goes with it if we just understand each other. We know where each other's coming from. I'm impressed and I hope to preach on this maybe next time I preach here, um, how God reaches into people's lives with questions in the Bible. Adam, where are you? God knew where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to tell him where he was. You know, if we don't take that approach, we often shoot ourselves in the foot. Ask questions. Don't make statements. Learn to know each other. And that's the focus here in verse 12. And I've always been the type of person who's tried to be very transparent about my personal life and spiritual journey. And for those of you who are uncomfortable with that, well, I warn you, it's probably going to get worse. So I think we need to know each other and be open with each other. Know them. Understand them. And then the last half of verse 13 says, and be at peace among yourselves. And be at peace among yourselves. Back on March 26th, I brought a message here titled, Experiencing God's Shalom. <clears throat> what is peace? I said the Hebrew mind understood it better than we do. The Hebrew mind understood that peace wasn't just an absence of conflict. Peace is a way of life for the true children of God. It's a way of life. The word peace is used 208 times in the Old Testament and 86 times in the New Testament. That's 294 times. You think God cares about whether or not we have peace? He only instructed us on us 294 times in the Scripture. Peace is completeness. It's welfare. It's health. It's the relationship of harmony and wholeness of everything. It's the harmonious state of soul and mind that encourages the development of all that God would have us to be. If we're going to develop into the people that God would have us to be, we must be a people of peace. It's a peace that's both external and internal. It's being right with God. And these are things I've picked up from other people who are attempting to explain what shalom meant. It is a state of being that Adam and Eve experienced before they sinned, complete tranquility with God and each other. Is that our testimony of our life? Complete tranquility with God and with each other. I'm always tempted to preach from the Sunday school lesson when it's this good. And the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep 
The idea is a guard, a sentry. Keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus, and it tells us what we think about. Is that what I thought about last week, the week before, or next week? We won't have peace if we don't think that way. Yes. And he goes on to say that peace was lost in the fall, but it's restored in the presence of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives. Let's know each other. Let's have peace. <clears throat> Let's turn over to 2 Corinthians 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Verses 8 through 15. In the setting here, Paul is talking about his vision, and then God gave him a thorn in the flesh. And he says, For this thing I besought the Lord three times that he might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasures and infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That ties into this peace thing. When I'm surrendered, I have God's strength in my life. When I'm doing it on my own, I will fail. <clears throat> then he goes on to talk about becoming a fool for glorying and all these things. Now we come down to the later verses here, and verse 15 is the one I really wanted to focus on. It came to my mind the other Monday morning also with the other verse. He says, And very gladly, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. And we get our sermon title from that passage. The sermon title this morning is, If I love you more, will you love me less? That's taken directly from the uh, international version. It says, verse 15, I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? And I think that's the question we should all ask, whether we're leaders in our homes or wherever we're at. Are we willing to Spend and be spent to give your life for others. We know Paul did that in a way that beyond most of us can even comprehend. You know, I've observed that in other men, godly men that I've been privileged to walk beside and observe. Giving and giving and giving till the age fast and all the other things that go with us. And then he asked the question, if I give that way, will you love me less because I'm loving you more? I want to give, but will it make us love each other less? I hope not. Let's go to Hebrews 13 and 17b. Here the writer is concluding his uh, letter to the Hebrews, and he has a lot of things to say there about the church and the function of the church. Hebrews 13, he relates to leadership in 7, 
and he talks about the end of their way of life. And in verse 17, it says this, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Pray for us. We trust that we have a good conscience and in all things willing to live honestly. A lot of interesting conversations in the last two weeks. <laughs> One retired bishop came and met me and he said, I wouldn't wish that job on anybody. <laughs> I said, well, thanks for the encouragement. And others had much more encouraging things to say. He said it with a smile on his face. And the other bishop said, it will, you know, it'll change your life. It will and all these things and and it's difficult, but I've been wrestling with that question all week. Why does it need to be that way? Why does it need to be that way? If we're living in peace, why does it need to be that way? It says here we are to live so that they can do it with joy and not with grief, because they must give an account. So I'm wrestling with that one. Maybe you have an answer for me after the service. But if we all love the Lord with our whole heart, and we love the body of Christ more than we love ourselves, is there any reason we can't operate in joy and peace? Back to spending and being spent. been thinking about that a lot. And in the 22 years I've served in ministry, I've came to believe, I came to believe, it's a good way to say it, that there are two types of needs that we minister to. Two types of needs that we minister to. Needs that are a result of circumstances that are beyond our control. And I'm not sure what all to say. Maybe it's, it's pain and hurt from childhood. Maybe the home you grew up in just left a lot to be desired. Maybe it's Marriage is where two people truly want to love each other and have their marriage to be everything it can, but there's just struggle there, and they need encouragement. They need people to walk beside them. Maybe it's miscarriages or infertility or, you know, the list could go on on things that are beyond our control to a large degree, and we need people to minister to us and to minister to those needs and to see God work and bring healing is the best thing a minister can do, to see God work. And, and it's a joy to spend and be spent for that. Then there's another type of needs that, I, that I've thought a lot about this week. Needs that are a result of personal choices where people know what needs to be done to find resolution but will not make those choices. And as I look back, I'm afraid we spent most of our time in that area. Too often, where we know what we ought to do, we simply aren't willing to do it, and it just goes on and on and on. Choosing not to be happy about something, choosing not to keep commitments we've already made, and, and all that type of thing. So I have another question for you, and I'd like to hear from you on this. What percentage of time do you think that your servant should put into those needs at the neglect of the deeper needs. Back to 1 Thessalonians again. Verse 13, chapter 5. 
1 Thessalonians 5 and 13b. And 2 Thessalonians, that's what's wrong. This is an interesting passage here. He's wrapping up this first letter. And he's talking about uh, comforting each other, serving God who died for us, uh, exhorting them to do the work of the church, take care of what's unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient towards all men, see that none render evil for evil unto any man, but ever follow that which is good both among yourselves and to all men. Rejoice evermore, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Quench not the spirit, despise not prophesyings, prove all things, hold fast to that which is good, abstain from all appearance of evil, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. I love that passage of Scripture. It gives us directives of how we ought to live. And it says, The very God of peace sanctify you wholly, set you apart completely, cleanse you 100% for the work of His kingdom. Your whole body, your soul, your spirit be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's things that are too deep for me to comprehend. Scripture says in the doxology about Jesus presenting us blameless or faultless before God in His presence. Isn't that wonderful? That we serve a Savior that can carry us through and present us faultless before God in the last day. And he's saying, I charge you, pursue that life. Faithful as he who has called you and will do it. Brethren, there's only, and sisters, there's only one thing that stands between us and that life. And that's ourselves. The only thing that can keep us from having that depth of relationship. But he starts out here again talking about peace. Up here he says, And be at peace among yourselves, and the very God of peace sanctify you. And our Sunday school lesson was about peace. It's like God wants us to talk about peace today. So I've wrestled with some questions this week on that one. What is the first step to being at peace among yourselves? What do you think would be the first step to being at peace among ourselves? Well, I've concluded that it has to be being at peace with God. See, all of our horizontal relationships flow out of our vertical relationship. And if we're going to be at peace with those around us, we have to first make peace with God. And making peace with God isn't just a cliche. It is a life-changing experience where we need to go back and take everything in the past that we haven't dealt with and take it to the foot of the cross. Relationships, things that we didn't appreciate about our youth or where we grew up or anything, all of that has to be taken to the cross and left there in order for us to have healthy relationships horizontally with all those around us. We can't cling to the past and move forwards in the future. We need to make peace of their past. In Jesus Christ, full surrender. I'm thinking about Jesus a lot today, or this week, in Gethsemane. Jesus went out there to Gethsemane to pray, and he fell on his face, and he prayed, and he sweated as it were great drops of blood, and he said, Father, if there's any other way, 
can we do this? Do you think that he really meant that? Do you think that anguish was truly that great? That he was sweating, as it were, drops of blood? That the capillaries in his, he was so distressed that the capillaries were oozing and it was coming out in his sweat pores? There's, that's a medical phenomena that happens sometimes. Yeah, it was real. That's what he was facing. That was his struggle. But then he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Did that change anything? Now, in your mind, get this picture that the Lord gave to me this morning early as I was meditating on this. Jesus got up off of his knees, finished praying after his prayer. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but the Judas and the soldiers came. He allowed himself to be arrested, and they began leading him toward the cross via Pilate's Hall, Caiaphas, what have you. But in essence, Jesus knew that he was allowing them to lead him to the cross. Do you think he had peace when he left Gethsemane? Do you think Jesus had peace when he left Gethsemane? Yes. See, the battle had been won when he said, not my will, but thine. That's where we win the battles as well, when we say that. I believe Jesus had complete peace through the trial, the scourging, the crucifixion, the whole way through. Because he knew. He said, God, not my will, but yours be done. Now I'll tell you a little story about someone who's been a slow learner in this area of surrender. It all began in the late 1980s when God began speaking into a young person's heart about the need of salvation. So he and a friend, they attended tent meetings over at the Pumpkin House Inn in 1988. Eli Yutze was the evangelist. He also started sneaking down to bank church on his bicycle in the evenings and hoping somebody would visit with him after church. And by the way, always look for that person that just showed up and visit with him. It'll make a difference. Then 1990 came, and there were tent meetings again at Pumpkin House Inn. Aidan Troyer, one of the more gifted speakers that the world has ever sent our way. Aidan Troyer was there. By that time, I was a regular, and I remember going to that. That was a, that was a real good week in my experience. The fact is, I stopped at a viewing on the way and shook hands with a lovely lady. <laughs> Became my wife. So anyway, uh, I believe Nell Nicely's viewing was no. Hired Nicely's viewing was that week. So anyway, so my life hadn't been the same. Anyway, so at each juncture of my spiritual experience, God has given me theme verses. He's just really given me theme verses to carry me through where I was at in my personal journey at that time. Oh, I missed that. And then eventually I started going to Bethany and... Uh, was baptized there on Mother's Day, 1991. My whole family was there. It was a good experience. And uh, began my journey uh, as a member of this body, of the body of Southeastern Conference. And like I said, at each juncture of my life, God gave me verses that have really been uh, a help and a stay to me uh, throughout my journey. And I invite you to turn with me to Colossians for the 
The first set of verses that God gave to me in, uh, in this journey that sort of marked the beginning of my Christian experience in many ways, <clears throat> Colossians 3 and verse 17. God impressed Colossians on me in many ways. Uh, this third chapter is about what all you need to get rid of and what you need to put on and how you need to live and how you need to relate to, to each other, husbands, wives, children, parents. Colossians 3 is a loaded passage of Scripture, and it became near, dear to me early on. But verse 17 really spoke to me and said, Whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. And then God just drove it home a bit deeper over in verse 23 and said, And whatsoever you do, do it hardly as unto the Lord and not unto men. And God showed me in, that, in this scripture that if you're going to be a Christian, it's everything or nothing. Don't try to do it halfway. It's everything or nothing. When we're purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ, it's everything or nothing. And I've tried to live that way. Then a little bit later on, I started getting asked to do things. Well, the fact is, it didn't even wait till later on. I don't know what it was, but I was, I was asked to help teach Sunday school at Bethany before I was ever a member. I was in instruction class. And then I got put on the slate for youth planning committee before I was a member, but I was in instruction class. So. I felt really loved and overwhelmed both at the same time. But anyway, that all worked out fine. And I appreciated that. And I remember the first couple of times that I spoke publicly, even after I was superintendent, after I was married, public speaking bothered me so bad that I would get completely numb from the end of my fingers to my elbows. When I would get done talking up here and walk back, I had no feeling at all in my hands. It would take a while for it to come back. And But anyway, that's... Uh, that was part of the experience of my life. and Somebody said something to me one time. It just really messed up the next couple of years of my life. I had devotions at youth one time, and somebody said, well, I think you're going to be a preacher someday, and I didn't want to hear that, and I fought that thing. And uh, it really did. It bugged me. I mean, I just that was the last thing I wanted, and uh, I pushed back for a long time uh, about that. So anyway... But through that, that time of my life, there was a song that came, became very near to me, very dear to me, uh, because when I joined Southeastern Conference, I knew I'd found my people. I just fit in. I just, it felt right. And uh, there's a song that expresses that better than I can, and I asked Joe to lead it. It's called People of the Living God.
testimony life. Well, a few years down the road, my fiance and I were getting ready to be married, and I was reading through the book of Psalms. I was reading in my paperback daily devotional Bible book, and the Lord gave me my next set of verses. It is Psalm 33. I invite you to turn there. Psalm 33, verses 20 through 22. And I thought it described well how I felt towards the Lord at that time. We felt, Our soul waiteth for the Lord, he is our help and shield. For our heart shall rejoice in him, because we have trusted his holy name. Let thy mercy, O Lord, be upon us, according as we hope in thee. You know, when you enter into marriage, you don't know where the journey is going to lead. But I wanted these verses as theme verses. In fact, it is the hang on our porch today at home. Waiting on the Lord, our hope is in Him. We don't know where He's going, but we trust Him for the journey. So now, we came home from our honeymoon in June, and I became Sunday school superintendent in July. So, kept feeling loved and accepted. Shortly after that, I'm not sure if it was a year after we was married or three years, four years after he's married. I don't know if it was when Brother Jay was ordained or when Brother Nathan was ordained, but one of the two, uh, we received nominations. And uh, at that time, I was struggling with some health issues, and I convinced myself that the right answer was no, so we said no, we didn't go through. And the next two years or three years, however long it was, God took us, took me especially, but both of us on a real journey. There were a lot of things happened that was beyond our ability to comprehend. And I remember just before the ordination where I was ordained, I told Myrna, I said, I don't know what God's doing, but something is going on. So anyway, time went on, and over that time we remodeled the barn and put in a Keenan mixer. Sam Gehring and I both got Keenan mixers, and we started processing straw and getting lots of milk and getting the wards, which is like, you know, what did that amount to? <laughs> Look back on it now, like, big deal. And uh, 
Anyway, there was a the group of extension agents had a group of people coming through the area. I'm not sure if they went to Sam's place too, but I knew they'd come to our place, and I was supposed to give a talk on feeding cows. I'm like, duh. And uh, I remember I got the mixer out, I'd mixed a batch of feed, and I laid out all the ingredients, and you know, they came, and I gave a talk on how we was mixing feed. And cooperating straw was the big thing at that time, and we was doing that. Gave a talk on that, and uh, afterwards the people was kind of milling around there, and they left. There was one man, a little freckly guy by the name of John Lucas. I don't know if I've ever seen him since. He came up to me later, he said, Philip, uh, question for you. I said, what? He said, have you ever considered a career in public speaking? <laughs> and I don't know how you think I should have felt I was so convicted. It was just like God just hit me over the head with a ball bat. You said no to preaching, but you tell people how to feed cows. Now get a life. So anyway, I was done arguing with God. Anyhow, 2001, um, Ivan Weaver came here to bank and had revivals in the spring. We had him to our house for lunch, and I really hit it off with Ivan Weaver. Our backgrounds of growing up was very similar. We had a lot in common, and I felt a real kinship with him. He went back home. August of 2001, uh, I decided to go to Ag Progress Days. I don't know what this, this thing about hanging out with Nicely is, but I invited Lloyd Nicely to go with me and Owen Nicely, and Owen invited Ellis, if y'all remember that. Ellis remembers it because he remembered uh, stopping at uh, Cracker <laughs> at... Uh, he was impressed how much I could eat when we stopped to go and crowd. Anyway, anyhow, took these two young men and my friend Lloyd, and we went to Ag Progress Days. And we were walking around up there, you know, not meeting anybody you knew. And all of a sudden, I walked up to this place that said Dynatech Generators. And there was my buddy, Ivan Weaver. I said, well, Ivan, you know, you work here, yeah. He said, by the way, he said, I'm coming to your church next month. I said, you are. Why are you coming? He said, I'm coming there to preach at a minister's ordination. I just got invited here back a while. And I don't know if you ever had those moments where your legs give out. <laughs> I had one of those moments. Like, uh-oh, <laughs> this is probably it. And it was. So anyway, between talking to him uh, up there and him telling me he's coming and God already starting to cut me off to knees, uh, the hired man quit. Yeah, we're running a dairy farm, mind you. We had a four-year-old daughter, a two-year-old daughter. And my wife was seven months pregnant with our third child, and she was having circulation issues and needing to take care of them. So there we are. And uh, we'd advertise and advertise for help, and we just couldn't find anybody we wanted to be on the farm around our girls. And I think it was that point I told Myrna, I said, I don't know what God's doing, but there's something. So anyhow, the nomination night came, and I still remember as I was sitting in the glider rocker. The phone rings. John Risser, Brother Philip. Yes, John. So anyhow, we met with him the next day and said, yes, we, we're done fighting God. So anyway, so but I said, there's one thing, John. I said, the lot or not the lot's not an issue to me. But I said, I have a lot of relatives that will find fault if I'm ordained without the lot. So I said, I really hope it don't go that way. Okay, he said. So they went on. <laughs> that was Monday. It was the fall of the year. By the way, it was the twin tires came down also that week, so there's a lot going on. And anyway, um, I decided to hire the chopping done that year. We was out of help, and there's too much going on. So Clifford Roar's crew came. That was on Monday. Clifford Roar's crew came Wednesday morning, and uh, still remember exactly again where I was at. We were setting up the ag bag, and we was getting ready to bag, and I was going to run the bagger. 
And John Risser calls again, ring, ring, Brother Philip. Uh, John? And I said, could you and your wife come meet with my wife and I? And I said, yes, John. I knew what he was going to tell me. <laughs> and I was right. And I got all flabbergasted and started the tractor. Couldn't figure out why we wasn't bagging good in here. I forgot to take the tractor out of park. But we got that fixed and got the crew started bagging. And anyway, I went to visit John Risser. And John said, look, Philip, I know what you told me. But he said, uh, none of the others felt the call. He said, we needed two. And only two of you are open to the Lord's call. And he said, you're going to be ordained if you're all right with that. I said, okay, I'm all right with that. So we'll do it. So anyhow, that's what we did. Ivan Weaver came down and preached. And you know what he preached? He preached about John the Baptist, but he preached about something else. He said, I have a plaque on my desk that says, it don't matter how many people I please if I displease God. But he said, it also don't matter the other way around. I can't get it quite in my mind. But what, he's, what, he's, what Ivan said is, you need to make your goal to please God and not to be a people pleaser. And I thought that message was for me. I needed that. Because of what I told the bishops on Monday morning. That I was worried about what people might think. And God spoke right into my heart and said, Philip, are you going to follow me? Or you'll be a people pleaser. But people forget that. And I'm praying to forget as well. Anyhow, then God gave me a bunch more verses after that. And I invite you to turn with me to those. Romans 1. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 16, became my calling verses. Paul says, I'm a debtor. That means I am in debt. I have a debt to pay. And we pay our debts as Christians going forwards. We don't make payments backwards like we do financially. We pay our debts forwards. We pay our debt by reaching into the hearts and lives of those around us as people spoke into our hearts and lives, those who went before us. He says, I'm a debtor. I have an obligation both to the Greeks and the barbarians. He said, I have an obligation to every soul I meet, both to the wise and the unwise, so as much as in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you also that are at Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God and to salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith is written, the just shall live by faith. And those verses really gripped me. I just felt God spoke them into my life. That I'm in debt for the rest of my life to everybody I meet. I cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is salvation to everyone who will receive it. Entrusted and indebted. Those verses really spoke to me. I was reading about that time also in the book of Acts. And God spoke to me from Acts chapter 20, verses 26 through 28. And here Paul is talking about, uh, he's making a farewell, and he says this, Therefore I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. I was deeply convicted from this to preach the truth of the word of God in its entirety. Not to please people, but to please God. 
so that I can come to the end of my life and say, I am free from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsel of God. And that became a life verse for me as well. And in Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And that's became my favorite life verse probably. See, I began to learn that when God speaks, you follow, and you do it with passion and purpose and joy. You see, the first verses he gave me said, Whatsoever you do, do it heartily unto the Lord. And then all these verses that followed. And God really impressed upon my heart in life that everything we do in life, especially if it's ministry, needs to be done with passion and purpose and joy. But there was some pain that came out of that. Some people misunderstood that. And I've heard, Philip, you act like somebody that wanted to be ordained. But they didn't know the backstory. That hurt bad. It's all right to have passion and purpose and joy. Another thing I felt deeply was a need for mentors. I have, a I have a tendency to be a little bit envious sometimes of these men that get ordained and they may have fathers and grandfathers and all these people around them that uh, they can go to for advice. And I didn't have that, but I thank each one of you brethren that I've worked with. You all have been my mentors, so thank you for that. And you've given me good advice, spiritually and otherwise as well. Brother Nathan, I think about you nearly every Sunday morning. You told me one time when I was struggling to keep up with my pastor work, you said, Philip, maybe you ought to consider backing off on the dairy a little. And I'm thank you for that advice. Because I wake up on Sunday morning, I don't have to milk. I'm thankful for that advice. <laughs> so, yeah, and for many other things that all of you brethren here that I've worked with, thank you for all you've done for me. But God wasn't done. He decided a good thing for my wife and I to do would be to participate in bishop ordinations. So we got three opportunities at that. The first time in 2003, oh, by the way, I forgot something that was really important about the week I was ordained. I said we didn't have any hired help. So John Risser and I were back and forth, and it became obvious I was going to be ordained. And I said, I just don't know how it's going to work because I'm already covered up with the farm. Can't find hired help, but we'll go trust the Lord. We're going to see what the Lord does with this. And actually, I didn't even have much faith. I just said, I don't know how it's going to work. That's where I stopped. And that was on Wednesday morning. On Wednesday evening, this tall, handsome stranger walked into the dairy while I was milking, and he said, hello, and my name's Wesley Weaver, Wesley Odeen Weaver he is, and, and I heard you're looking for help. And uh, I said, I am. And he said, well, I'm looking for a job. I said, well, where could you start? He said, well, day after tomorrow. So <laughs> I told the Lord yes on Wednesday. He sent me a hired man that night. He started on Friday, and I was ordained on Sunday. See how God works? So anyhow, Wesley, Odin, Weaver, and I remain good friends to this day. There were some days we didn't get a lot of physical work done, but we had some deep theological discussions, and we still do that occasionally. So anyway, God works. Just trust him. So anyway, where was I at? Oh, these bishop ordinations. Anyhow, I was ordained when I was 33. When I was 35, um, I guess Janelle would have been, yeah, Janelle would have just been born, so then we had our fourth child. Janelle would have just been a wee, teeny little baby. And another bishop ordination rolled, another, bishop, another ordination rolled around, it was a bishop. 
And I had no concerns whatsoever. I just came to that meeting so peaceful and sure in the way to vote for me and went in this little room and they read the names and see wangers are always at the bottom so you get you find out last when your name's on the bottom of the list and it said Philip Wanger. I was just I couldn't believe it. I was total shock. That that was one of the longest weeks of my life. Like Lord, I know this isn't possible. And he agreed and thankfully Brother Claire was ordained that night. It was Brother Claire with John Hartford and myself. And uh, Brother Claire was ordained and I'm very thankful for that. And then 2021 came along, and uh, again, Bishop Ordination came along, and I was nominated. And the Lord called Brother Jonathan, and I was extremely happy with that, peaceful with that. You know, I've heard other people go through the lot, and they're not ordained, and they kind of struggle with that. I never have felt that way. I was always, Lord, however you want to do it, I'm good. So anyhow, and then this last ordination began to unfold. And I'll tell you what a slow learner I am. Since I'd already been in twice, I was a little concerned maybe I'd be back in again, and or we would, my wife and I are always together in it. And uh, as this thing began to unfold, I began to tell God, you know, there's some things that, I, if you want me to be involved in this, there's some things I don't want to happen, okay? Like this, 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 and this. Yeah, it's kind of like telling God, you know, I have a busy day today, and please, I don't want a feed spill in the chicken house, and I don't want the water trough running over in the barn, and I don't want a flat tire. And you go out to work, and they're all three there waiting on you. <laughs> and you realize, maybe it's time to quit telling God how to do things. And that was sort of my experience through here. It seemed like as this week, this thing began to unfold. Everything I told God that he shouldn't do, he decided to do. And uh, it's amazing how that you can have the same conversation with God 22 years apart, and you find out God hasn't changed his mind. Do you ever notice that about God? He just doesn't change his mind. He told me the very same thing that he told me when I was ordained minister. Philip, are you going to be a people pleaser or are you going to follow me? Which do you want to do? See, I'm a slow learner. Anyway, so God kept reminding me of the same thing. Are you here to please people or are you here to follow me? Say, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Because, see, God's will and God's ways are always right. And whether we understand it or not doesn't change God. And I believe God can work in every situation for his honor and his glory and his good. If we're willing to stand out of the way and say, God, your will be done. So no, it didn't turn out exactly like I told God it should. But God is sovereign. God is God and I am not. God is God and we are not. So this morning as I was, I got up early this morning, as I'm learning bishops are wont to do, I got up early this morning and began praying and studying and meditating, and God gave me another set of life verses. And they aren't just for me, they're for our congregation, for each of us. I invite you all to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 12. We could quote them, but let's turn to it, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, first three or four verses. Wherefore, see, we're encompassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easy to beset us, and let us run with patience with the race that is set before us. 
What's this verse telling us? It's saying in light of all those heroes of, heroes of faith in Hebrews 11, in light of all one before us, in light of all the faithful through all the generations, it's possible for us to be faithful. We're encompassed with a great cloud of witnesses. And I believe that can include those that are still alive today or living in faith. And in light of that fact that they made it through and they were faithful to the end, we can be also. But there's some things that we're going to have to do. We're going to have to lay aside every weight that tangles us up. Everything that holds us back. You remember? I was talking about if we want current peace, we have to have peace with the Prince of Peace. We have to have peace with the past, present, and future. We have to get rid of those weights that hold us down. And we have to also get rid of the sin that besets us, that tangles us up. The idea here is things that just tangle your feet, like trying to run through the woods where there's vines. He's saying you have to get, we have to get rid of all of that. And let us run with perseverance, with passion, with purpose, and with love. We have to run with perseverance and patience. And then verse 2 tells us how we have to run. We have to run with our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, looking neither to the right nor to the left, unto Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, the perfecter of our faith. And look at his example. What was his example? His example was he did it with joy. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And I believe that verifies what we've already talked about, that Jesus left Gethsemane and started walking towards the cross with peace and maybe even joy. But he did it for the joy that was set before him. His eyes was on the prize. He looked ahead and he kept on with endurance. He endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So I love you all. Let's always pull together to build the kingdom. Let's be at peace among ourselves and start by being at peace within ourselves and make these our theme verses for the future. Laying aside everything that would hold us back and run, to patience, the, run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. I've asked Joel to lead us in two more songs. Uh, Prince of Peace, Control My Will. Uh, song just... I don't know, I have this thing about songs. I'll just tell you right now, I hope someday we can get that purple song book here because a lot of times when I'm studying, there's songs I want to go with my sermons and they aren't in these books, but they're in that purple book. But anyhow, uh, just a little hint. Anyway, uh, Joel is going to lead us in two songs. Lead Prince of Peace, Control My Will first. Uh, that really explains the emotions and the journey that I felt in the past two weeks in my life. And... Uh, and then the last one is, uh, my shepherd shall supply my need. And uh, I rest in that song. I truly rest in that song. So let's sing together, and God bless you.